the recording could hear me. There we go. Well, that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be one-sided. Yeah, yeah. That would be kind of boring. <laughs> boring for the listeners, for sure. Okay, my level looks good. I can yell all I want. There we go. You that- can edit out any coughing or dog bark or anything like that, right? I've yeah. got the... It's pretty quiet at the moment here, but just in case. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind dog barks. Uh, last night, actually, at the end of the show, right when I was playing the music, I finally got a siren, um, which is a leitmotif for this show. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, underlying joke. Yeah. I got to listen to last night's show because I I loved that film Arrival. I oh, yeah? I yeah, I I kind of put it up there with 2001 as far as its um its importance to the topic. Yeah, you know? you know, I feel the same way too and we brought that up on the show too. I said um my impression when I first saw it was uh, Kubrick with some heart. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Like it was a lot less budget, but it really it, it was powerful. I I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the message behind it. It, it kind of adds to the the pop culture discussion anyway of, of aliens and UFOs and language. <laughs> yeah, I think the, yeah, the, the language. Yeah, maybe. The la- yeah, the language part was the part that spoke to me the most. Uh, but obviously, that's you know kind of a an interest of mine, which is why I was predisposed to like the film. Yeah. Um, before we get too much further, let me, in, in the interest of not having to do, do too much editing, I'll, I'll play the intro here. Well, since this is going to be this kind of discussion, I'll put in the, uh, I'll, I'll put in the, once again, the anti-ETH intro. It's Radio Mysterioso, and we're, re- it's, it's not live, but we're recording here on the 24th of April 2017 with Susan Demeter St. Clair. Did I pronounce it properly? No. Oh. <laughs> pronounce it properly for me. Demeter. It's Susan Demeter St. Clair. Demeter is like the, uh, the goddess. The Greek goddess, yeah, yeah, but it's okay because everybody makes that mistake, so it's fine. It's okay. Fine. <laughs> no, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of of this whole domain, away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by. You know, aliens from this planet or that star, that may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that the um, that this that this phenomenon is um, comes from, comes from some sort of domain of pure information, and the fact that they can interact with us at all suggests that uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, well conditioned here? in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, 
the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? Everybody's heard that one for uh, for for years now, so let's turn that down. Oh, I love it! If you could see me right now, I know you can't see me, but I've got this huge grin on my face. <laughs> I love that! I love that intro. Really? Boop aliens, huh? go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk about that a bit. Um, Susan Demeter, Saint Clair. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I want to make sure that I I have it. I've got to repeat it in my mind so that it, I uh, remember because I don't like uh, mispronouncing people's names, especially when they've already told you. Um, it happens. It's okay. Right before we came on, I was uh, talking about Jeff. Talk Ritz- secret stuff. Yeah, uh, Jeff Ritzman had uh, written me <laughs> and, and said that there was some sort of a a kerfuffle on the Radio Mysterioso page. And I looked at it, and I don't mind if people express opinions, but it had devolved very quickly into name-calling and swearing, which I, the first person to call a name is, loses the, uh, loses the discussion in my, my view, because you're not talking about ideas anymore, and your emotions enter into it in a, in a, uh, upfront and raw way, and that's where I don't want to hear people, I don't want to hear people bashing each over the head, each over, other over the head with names and chairs and stuff. I'd rather hear them getting in a very heated debate of ideas. And that, oh, you can't do that very often. No, you can't. Unfortunately, in these, uh, social media forums, uh, I thought it was interesting because I saw this, this conversation sort of devolving, uh, already last night. Well, it's, it stopped and then it just kind of restarted. And I kind of, I looked at this, this person who is posting and, uh, Jeff had said, you know, this is, this is definitely a trickster like kind of quality or character that's coming out. Um, and it continued on in that sort of sense. And I thought that was actually a really brilliant observation because these types of trickster like characters are prevalent. Um, in, in ufology and in parapsychology and all these kind of weird sort of fringy topics that we love, they are also, I mean, there's many good people, but there are also very strange people. And then there are occasionally some very good people that will do some very strange or say some very strange things. Yes. And it is all part of this trickster like, um, uh, a motive or, or, or archetype that seems to be part and parcel of all these experiences. Um, I'm, I'm very, very interested in Jeff's work. It's, it's following, uh, George Hansen's stuff, as you know. Yeah. And this is something I've been doing too. So when I first came across Jeff online during a, another online huge kerfuffle involving all these big kind of names in ufology and, and Jeff's the only one out there talking about the trickster. And I'm like, 
wow, there's just there's this one other person out there <laughs> who kind of gets it that all this is part and parcel of the phenomena. At least I, I believe so. I'm, I've been led to believe so through George's work and that and things I've observed myself. Yeah. It also goes back to um, that book, uh, Keith Thompson's book, uh, Angels and Aliens from the early 90s. Uh, what he pointed out was that paranormal study, or particularly UFO study, is like an evolving um, mythology that has all its own, it, had, it follows all the same rules. It's got heroes and villains and epic battles, etc. And it, it was going, you know, it was going on uh, according to the script that he pointed out. Not saying that, you know, people say mythology meaning it's myth, it's wrong, it's, it's something somebody made up. No, no, he was talking about the study of mythology um, and looking at people acting out these roles as something that they're just bound to do because that's the way people interact with each other. So he placed it over the, you know, the, the UFO thing and said, you know, isn't it interesting that people do this and they don't realize that they're, they're basically acting out roles. And as you point out, this guy was acting out the role of the trickster, even though he said there's no such thing as a trickster, which is kind of <laughs> the irony in the statement. It's, it's true. He was being, he was displaying all these trickster like qualities, you know, being that he's very new and, and nobody knows who this guy is. And he just comes out of left field and saying, Oh, you know, this is all crazy or whatever. And just, and admitting he never actually read Jeff's blog. So he's just leaping on this one word. And I, I, last night I, I looked at some of his stuff and, and, and I thought, honestly, this guy maybe has had one too many beers and he's posting on a Sunday night <laughs> <laughs> on the Internet. You know, maybe he should be doing something else. And But then this has continued on into today. And it is very trickster-like. And it's something that does seem to be part of it. And And I do agree with that idea of archetypes and people playing essentially roles mm-hmm. uh, within a greater UFO narrative. At least that's what it appears to be. Um, I So I, I definitely, I subscribe to those ideas as well. And I've even experimented a little bit with them. I should probably do some sort of introduction, being as this is an, one, an interview, and two, the first time I've talked to you publicly. We did talk um, privately yeah. recently. The only thing I know about you, the two things I know about you are, one, you wrote a great essay for um, UFOs Reframing the Debate, and you have uh, at, at least a couple of uh, different blogs, I think. I, I looked yeah. at I looked at something where you, I, I looked at your name on it. One of was was, was your Out of My Mind's Eye. and mm-hmm. I have my my website, which is uh, it's it's more new online, and then I have my blog. So the blog, I guess, is part of the website, and then I also write for different um, different pages as well in different groups. So you can see how yeah. professional I am. I was more interested in what we're going to talk about. <laughs> Looking up anything. Yeah, I prefer banter. I like listening to things that sound more natural, and you know, like we're having a conversation here, and it flows and who knows what we might discover in our conversation. It's all good, right? I, yeah. I, I, that's how I feel anyway. Well, what so, I will do is put in, uh, when I post the show, I will put a uh, proper introduction up um, with some background because, I, like I said, I was more interested in what you were saying, what, what you were thinking about and what you were doing than, and I was concentrating on putting those questions together, which I do have a bit of a list, but I realized that we would go off uh, list and off script, which is, what the show is about it should yeah. be called off list off script for some you know for, for that matter <laughs> anti-structure like the like yeah, total, the total anti-structure yeah yeah 
I did read on one of your posts that, uh, like a lot of people that are interested in this stuff, you had a kind of a history of it, even going back into childhood. And I'm always interested to hear when people have that because I didn't have that. And I don't even, I don't remember if I did. I mean, there were things that I, I, I imagined, but it seems like you had things going a little bit further than that. And that fascinates me. Could you, uh, talk about that a bit? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I've had strange sort of experiences as far back as I can remember. Um, I did, I think I know the one you're talking about, which was, uh, uh, an experience I had with this little sort of dwarf-like man mm-hmm. uh, who, who I had seen actually in a house. It was it was interesting because it was a new build. Um, so it's not like it was a haunted house or anything. And I found all this stuff out later. Uh, but I my parents were looking at it to purchase it, and they had brought me along. And I remember running through this house and, and, and sort of ditching my parents and going to think, oh, you know, which one will be my room already thinking they're going to buy this house. <laughs> And, uh, and, and bumping into this, this character, this little dwarfish like person. And already as a child, I knew that I shouldn't be seeing this. Like there's something, this, this person doesn't exist. Um, and that, that really freaked me out. And through my childhood, after that experience, I had others with little dwarfy kind of beings that I had always put down to being ghosts. I, I didn't really think of them in, in a UFO sense until much, much later. And, uh, and while all this was going on as a child, I, I also had this wolf and this talking wolf would come to me. And, and, and when I would be scared and scared particularly of these little beings, um, the wolf would protect me. And later on as a teenager and as I was getting older and I was getting interested in, in, in psychology and that and particularly Jungian psychology, I thought, you know, okay, I, I am the wolf. I created the wolf out of my own mind to protect myself, um, from these little beings. And, uh, and that's what I kind of thought. But then later on, as, as now decades have gone by, uh, and I've been doing more and more research, um, the more I think that maybe I had encountered something else other than than my imagination or my childhood imagination. But it's, of course, dealing with a childhood memories is, of course, very difficult because yeah, yeah. memories are, are fluid as well and they can change and that. So I try not to dwell on that too much. But that really sort of um, for me anyway, this is sort of the beginning of what later became, I guess, a bit of an obsession with UFOs and the Fortean and the mystery stuff uh, when I had a UFO experience when I was 23. Because at 23 and with another witness, I was able to say, you know, this isn't childhood imagination. Uh, you know, there was no giant wolf that came to protect me. This is something I saw. It was tangible. Uh, I'm seeing it with another person, uh, and that's sort of what got me into the whole, pulled me into UFOs. Prior to that, I wasn't really interested in UFOs. When you say you recall stuff from childhood, did, do you remember it as being something just like you were sitting in a room and something walks in, and it does, and you, and it's not an imaginary thing, it's just something? Because when I was a child, I remember I could imagine a lot of things that would go were going on, like I was... Um, like I was pretending I was in the movie Star Wars, but I knew I was pretending because, you know, the, the, it, it's just very rich in my mind. But it's not like a 
quote unquote reality of sitting in your room and something walks in the door and you remember it that way. How do you remember those, the, these encounters? I, I think with the little, with the little people, it's more like, and the way you described it on the story was that you walked in and, and the guy was just sitting there in the corner or whatever it was. Um, yes. But with the, with the wolf figure, was that some, something that you saw as a separate being that would walk in as if somebody would walk in a door and just say hi? Yes. Um, It would be more like as if seeing an actual large dog that is casting a shadow and breaking light. Um, So to me, and when I consider these things, I think if there was some sort of objective reality to them, they must have been solid, at least partially so in some way that they are that they're breaking light and mm-hmm. that I can see them in that sort of a 3D sort of way. Huh. I mean, I'm also a very imaginative person. So as a yeah. child, I too, I used to pretend I was Princess Leia. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, I get into like little, you know, tussles with sticks and whatnot. And these were the lightsabers on my street. Because yeah. I, I grew up on a street with mostly boys. So <laughs> I was the prince. I was the token Princess Leia. And, uh, and yeah, so I do, I, I did, and I still do have a great imagination. Um, but these things were not like that. They seemed to literally be, um, like I said, they, they had some sort of substance to them, at least for a time being, when I was looking at them, they seemed solid and three dimensional and that as if they were actually interacting with me. Mm. Has anybody ever suggested you and tried to sh- uh, uh, shove, you know, shove down your throat the ideas like, no, 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 these were gray aliens? Um, yes, I have had that in the past, um, and may- maybe they were. I don't really know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, because I don't really know what gray aliens are. Uh, I've I've also had it. Um, well, whatever the, the normal they- one. Whatever. Yeah. I've also had the idea posited that perhaps they were like um, like a Tulpa or um, uh, Alistair Crowley, the great magician. Uh, he, he created apparently one lamb. Uh, so did Jack Parsons. Uh, John D. I'm throwing out other from a magical perspective. Uh, these are people who are all created or claims to have created these types of beings that are very similar in description in some sense to these tiny humanoids that could be gray aliens or could be, you know, I, I thought I, I initially thought they were ghosts. That's because mm. that's what was in my mind. Yeah. They, you know, I was watching Scooby-Doo and such at the time. So right. these had to be these these creepy little things were ghosts. Right. Me. Just something that you uh, out of your normal experience and you kind of said, OK, I'm going to put it in that box, that category of ghosts. Yes. Well, there is an archetype of uh, of small pe- of little people in across cultures. Mm-hmm. So did all of yours look the same? I'm, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's uh, too much to be data mining this one thing, but I'm very interested in your <laughs> little people because you said, you know, one of them was uh, the way you described seemed like almost he was dressed as you would think an elf would be dressed. Yes. And pretty much those were, um, like from my, my own experiences, they pretty much fell into that sort of a category of little elfish or dwarfish kind of, uh, humanoids. Um, so this is as well as why I got very excited when I first found Passport to Magonia, um, and, and looking at Jacques Vallée's work and seeing that this correlation between the UFOs and these experiences and, and these little people, 
that again, like you said, they cross culture, they, they, they go back far back in time. And, uh, and certainly some of these experiences, the, with the elves and these fairies, uh, sound very, very similar to modern UFO experience. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is, there is a correlation there anyway, in, in some sense, for sure. And the fact that you were seeing these things as a child, it seemed like the, that, the sighting over the lake was sort of a, at the age 23 was kind of a gateway to the rest of your life. Like, okay, now we're done with fairies and elves and, and a big wolf. And now we're going to move into the grown up world of, <laughs> of seeing lights in the sky. And I don't know. Do you see it in that way? I do. I do. And I also, I kind of see what I, that the shape and the color of what I saw in, in almost a symbolic light. I didn't at the time. At the time, I had no experience with UFOs yeah. and um, beyond like pop culture. Um, at that point, I think I had already seen communion and, and I, I, I watched, you know, uh, fire in the sky was popular in that era, X-Files and things, but I, th this was all pop culture stuff to me. Um, so I didn't really have much thoughts on it. So of course, when I had the experience at 23, my mind, you know, I, I jumped to aliens, the ETH, um, and I kind of stuck there for a little while until I realized that it was me that really wanted them to be aliens. But mm. yeah, but what I saw. Yeah, I was um, going to say, what could you describe? Could you describe, please, what you saw? What I saw <laughs> with uh, my brother in law at the time was a very large, bright red, I guess you could call it an orb. It was almost octagonal in shape, kind of sphere. It was pulsing. It was in the vicinity of a nuclear power generating station at the time I lived in a, in a place where I had a clear view of it over by the lake. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember just discounting things in my mind. This is not a plane. This is not, you know, I, I don't know what this is. Uh, and then my brother-in-law said to me, I think we're seeing a UFO. And I, I remember just having chills and, and, and just blurting out of my mind. I, I don't know why I even said this to this day, but I said, they know we can see them, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so we watched this thing for a couple of minutes and then it just started really pulsating. Um, and, and it seemed to implode on itself and then shoot up into the sky. And I was just flabbergasted. Like I, I didn't sleep that night. Uh, yeah. neither did my brother and I, we just kind of sat up and we're like, who are we going to talk to about this? And, you know, I mean, you, you can't call police. You can't, you, you know, cause it's not a crime. It's, you're just, it's, it's so mind, mind boggling. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did scan for like the, the next day. Rug out. Yes, absolutely. And I did, I scanned in the newspapers to see, you know, and this is pre-internet day. So I couldn't really Google. Um, uh, so I went to the library and I got out some UFO books and, and I got out Dr. Hynek's book and it had a, an address to QFOS and I wrote a lengthy letter soon afterwards to QFOS, um, mm -hmm. in Chicago. And that, unfortunately, I had no idea that Dr. Hynek had already passed away at this point and it came back to me and, oh. uh, and I, yeah, it came back to me and I just, I kept it and, and I just kind of sat on the, the UFO thing cause like, my kids were small then, uh, for a few years. And then I began pursuing it more in the, in the late 1990s. Um, 
but it, it was really, really life altering. Yeah. Um, and, and I do, I consider it almost like an initiation, like you said, from these childhood, strange little experiences with these little men to, uh, you know, this big thing in the sky and, and not being able to deny it so easily because I've had this, I have this other witness with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of, I would say it definitely shaped or began the, the was the beginning shape of, of, of my life or the course of my life. Mm. Um, but, and, and like I said, at the time I thought it was aliens. Uh, I don't really know if that's the case anymore. Uh, but I don't really subscribe to the ETH. Um, really? Why not? I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> do I have to? Well, yes, you should, because I, I would like, I like to repeat one, repeat this message and two, find out how it manifests in people that have moved away from the idea, you know, moved away it, from the standard, uh, you know, move on or whatever, uh, pop cultural idea of, of what's going on. Well, that itself was was a bit of a, a, a seesaw for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me too. As far because I I went from this 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 person who had all these childhood experiences to trying to ex- explain them away in mundane fashion to having this this UFO in the sky, and then eventually I did find Mufon, and and I, I there's a lot of really good people in Mufon, but I find that yes, they definitely they are they are either going to push the nil hypothesis or they're going to push the ETH. And so I, I, I also met a lot of very strange people through MUFON and I was not very satisfied overall with them at that time. So I started more or less doing my own thing. And because of some of these more mean spirited, let, let's put it that way, or passionate people within the ETH, they sort of pushed me more towards skepticism. So for a while, I was a member of Skeptics Canada, and I was reading a lot more of the Psychop stuff, and I was kind of moving away into that sort of realm, even though it kind of was at odds with my own spirituality. I felt almost a comfort in that kind of rationalism, if yeah. that makes sense. And then... In 2001, I had another very unexpected, very large UFO experience, again with a witness, um, also in southern Ontario here. And this time it was a structured craft. It was very close range. And that was it. I could not be a skeptic anymore. Right. (laughs) At least not not of the the psychopian type. Right, right. So I kind of had this seesaw in feelings. However, at that point... I was already starting to move far away from the ETH. Um, and, and part of that is just really doing some soul searching. And, and I realized that the only evidence pointing to the ETH is my own desire for it to be the ETH. I mean, that was what was convincing me in my mind at one point that I was dealing with an alien intelligence is because I kind of, I wanted it to be. Right. And that, that realization, that self-examination freed me from that hypothesis, which may or may not be correct. But let's face it, after 70 years, it's really gotten us nowhere. Well, yeah, that's a, that's another issue. Um, you know, some people just get tired of it because there's no real way to prove it. So, you know, why don't we go and start look at the, you know, as Valet and some people have done, let's look at the history 
of this kind of thing before um, the modern era and how people dealt with it and, and see that it's a continuous, um, apparently a continuous uh, line of uh, history that goes from, you know, ancient history up to now and that we can't uh, operate uh, it in a vacuum, operate our study of it in a vacuum. That actually was one of my one of my questions was, you know, for you was, uh, um, I don't know what this is called, the psychosocial hypothesis or something like that. Um, it would seem like you and I and a lot of people we know are more interested in that part of it. Um, and I, I, I believe that it's it's uh, useful and far more interesting than the nuts and bolts approach. The nuts and bolts approach should not be thrown out. I, I'm not saying that at all. Um, yeah. but looking at that or what we do to the exclusion of, of the, uh, any other method is, is, uh, not a good course of action. It's just certain things you're more interested in. So what, you know, why do you think that, that the, uh, method we're talking about is more useful or at least why is it useful to you? Well, first of all, it's, we have to, we have to, you know, look at it this way. This is a terrestrial problem. <laughs> um, we're not seeing UFOs in outer space. Uh, this is, this is not something that is being reported on by astrophysicists or astronomers that this, this is something, unless they're having a personal experience, but this is something that is occurring on planet Earth. So it is a terrestrial issue, first of all. Right. Um, and I think that when we're examining, and this is, this is where perhaps MUFON in the past has kind of fallen off a little bit of cliff with this, is they are so, looking towards what the, the the craft for instance or the whatever it was that was observed but they're forgetting that the really only tangible thing we have in this story is the person who's reporting it and to me i think that that a whole wealth of information and possible other questions are being missed because we're not focusing on the witnesses like they're they are the people that that are you know interacting with whatever this is yeah. And they are the only physical thing that we have uh, that we can really, you know, talk to and study and 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 examine as far as like that's where I think that, you know, it it, it needs a much more um, not two tiered, but three tiered or four tiered approach. I think, in my opinion, we should be looking at uh, what the person saw. Yes, but also the person themselves and, and information about them and perhaps what is going on in the greater society around them. I think by doing that, it's, it's more whole and could produce more questions, better questions. That's what I'm always looking for. Yeah. Um, than just the singular approach of, of, you know, let, you know, what did you see and, and just leave it at the, at the nuts and bolts. Like you said, I think it needs to be more of a combination or, or multiple approach. Yeah, but that makes it hard to categorize, you know, that that's the complaints like, well, if we don't ask a specific set of set questions, it's kind of hard to categorize what's going on and enter it into a database and all that. Um, you know, my opinion of that is so what um, put in the stuff that goes in the database and have a section of notes. Exactly. Exactly. And let's, let's start looking at things like personality types. Um, mm -hmm. This is something we've seen in, in, um, uh, William Roll in parapsychology, he he did this. He would, um, with certain people uh, claiming poltergeist or ghost experiences, uh, he would then, uh, on top of like just examining the case itself and what happened, 
also look at the witnesses and he even looked at the personality types are, are certain personality types more likely to have these experiences i right. mean these are this is other data that that can also help um again and that's tangible uh, and objective versus the subjective only just trying to examine an experience that's already happened you know i mean yeah. it's so I think that I agree with you. We can have these databases that we can look at, you know, colors and shapes and, and dates and things, but we can also look at personality types and, 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 you know, um, put them in their social context as well. You know, what was going on with these people when they have these experiences and do they have more than one? Do they go on to have other experiences? Right. I find that tends to be the case. Yeah. The, the, I, I wrote something years ago called the repeater phenomenon where it used to be that if somebody had more than one sighting at the, large ufo groups would say uh well it sounds like maybe they might be making stuff up because it seemed like the norm was a single sighting and it's you know correct me if i'm wrong i think it's not the norm i think if people see something strange that um well it may not be the norm but it may be more common than we think it is that people have multiple um experiences over over a lifetime and that the the admitting at the one time kind of keeps them from admitting it ever again to anybody else because of all the blowback from admitting it the first time uh, exactly which and is I which is horrible i mean people should be able to talk about this whenever because there's a huge amount of rich um experience and data and you know more questions and 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 places to go in all those untold stories exactly and this this is what i try to impress upon witnesses when i talk with them is that i and, and I do find, too, that there is a big difference between talking to someone on a phone, emailing someone, or actually sitting down and having a cup of coffee with them. Mm. The latter, you, they, you tend to get far more information because then people start to become comfortable. And I always tell people, I am not here to judge. I, I want your data. I don't care whether you think this sounds crazy to you. And most people are aware when they're telling a story, it sounds kind of strange or whatever. Yeah. Uh, then they'll hold back. Uh, I, and I don't want that. I don't want people to hold back. Tell us everything that's happening with you and there's no judgment. Yeah. But I've also found with certain investigators, they too, they will hold a prejudice against certain types of information. Um, okay, you know, if you're a police officer and you're reporting a UFO and this is the only experience you have, well, this is a great report. Well, what makes it any difference than someone who might be, you know, a homemaker and who's had several experiences? Uh, I, you, you see what I'm saying? Like there seems to be a tier of information there that yeah. I think is unfair. Um, and that comes with the investigators too. Because they're, I think in some cases what they're trying to do is give some sort of false sense of respectability <laughs> to, a, to, a, to a fringe science, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're trying to say, okay, well, you know, like only, you know, so so your your story sounds like a bit of a crackpot story. So obviously it must not be true. So right. we're going to sweep that one under the rug because mm -hmm. it's not fitting with, you know. <laughs> yeah, which is why, you know, I, I don't know if you agree, but I don't think that uh, – this kind of research should be done by large groups or people with an agenda. And it, it's really hard to do that because people like large groups and, and, you know, uh, structure and all that. And, um, the, the kind of investigators that will do work that I think is, will probably push things forward are people like you and individuals in very small groups that just say, look, let's, let's concentrate on this for a little while. And, yeah. 
you know, my, I think the t-shirt I'm trying to get printed up now is, uh, uh besides uh, do not engage, which uh, people seem to like that one was, I uh, need that one. <laughs> you do that up in girl, girls, uh, t-shirts. I will. Too. I will. Women's. Women's. Yes. Yeah. And the other one is, um, uh, mimic the obliqueness of the subject. Perfect. You know, and I don't really, uh, that's for you, I guess for UFO people. Nobody else would really understand what I was talking about there. Because the minute you try to impose structure upon the UFO thing, it, it just, it's like the Princess Leia thing. It just, it just squeezes out between your fingers. Um, yeah. it's not, it, it's not, uh, made to be something that is, is, uh, is completely comprehensible by a systematic, um, study. I don't think, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you agree with me. The other thing I, I was thinking when you were yeah, talking to, about um, uh, interviewing people and sitting down in front of them, uh, Chris O'Brien told me, and this was, uh, I hadn't realized this, and it seems so obvious. He said he took Rosemary Ellen Guiley out with him to the San Luis Valley mm-hmm. a few times to do um, investigations and talk to witness witnesses. Um, he said that she got so much more information out of people, especially men, mm-hmm. than he ever did. Simply because she, you know, being a woman, being and come, approaching people in a different way, and the you know the way that society and Western society can you know deals with the female um, and how men and women interact, she got maybe not a completely, but she got a much richer experience out of uh, a lot of these witnesses than he ever did. Yeah, I you know absolutely. Sometimes people as well they'll feel more comfortable whether if it's a male or or if it's a female. Sometimes it yeah, might female be too. the opposite way, um, depending upon a person's comfort level uh, and how they feel they want to open up and share. Um, so I guess ideally, in some ways, that you you want that Mulder and Scully kind of you right. know the the female because it depends who the witness might gravitate towards more as far as entrusting this mm-hmm. type. Of information but yeah yeah no I, I i agree with that and i agree with the large structure i didn't always agree with that um but it wasn't until i really started getting into george hansen's work and the trickster and um and looking at the anti-structure uh that i realized that no i don't think it will ever ever be something that is going to be studied outside of maybe philosophy and religion uh in in a major academic way uh, you know, and it is it because it itself is anti-structure. And when you have these large groups, they do tend to implode on themselves. Yeah. You know? Or, or they, you know, the, the people feel like the, their voices are lost and they are. Yeah. That's just the way things happen. That's the way a big group operates. It, it has a top down, uh, approach. There is a group of leaders and the leaders determine what's going on. And if there's an important piece of information or an idea or something like that from way out on the fringe, um, that is taken into the group and the, and the, the person that made the, uh, the breakthrough, they don't listen to them anymore. It becomes exactly. subsumed into the group. And, the, you know, the person that was on the front lines doesn't, uh, doesn't have a, doesn't have a say. And whatever they're doing is, um, is bent a, a, to the will of the leaders and the group mind and all that. And, uh, I think that's especially for the UFO thing. It's, it's, uh, not a good idea. Uh, mimic the obliqueness of the subject, please. <laughs> yes. I, I, I need that t-shirt. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I've got these little phrases that I've been going and yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What? Definitely. 
<laughs> I get these little phrases and I, I type them out. It's like, okay, there's another one. And I'm thinking, I guess I can just go to, you know, Cafe Press or Amazon Merch or whatever and, and start, um, pumping these things out and, and, and see what happens because I want one, you know, one for my show and all that. But then I get these ideas for a t-shirt I just like to wear once in a while just a silly one like do not engage in big red letters i, I wish they could be i wish it could be flashing in red yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely. or you could do that on the back or or and just do the logo for the show on the front or yeah something well like i that. do want to engage on my show i don't want to engage with useless people who are arguing with me for no good reason except just to be dicks i don't yeah. I, i'm not interested in that <laughs> if i'm learning something from somebody in an argument or a discussion it's not really, it's an argument is not useful. In a discussion, if I'm learning something from somebody, even if it's heated, that's fine with me. But as soon as somebody, you know, uh, says you're full of shit or it becomes personal, that, that, that is, that's shut off. I mean, immediately I know that that is shut off any useful dialogue at that point because then everybody's in defense mode emotionally yeah. i mean your 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 reptile brain comes up and says i have you know i have to defend myself because my my ego is being uh um cut down here as long as you're talking about ideas that's fine but you know the first person that says you're full of shit i'm just kind of my do not engage sign lights up okay fine you win bye exactly there's no point you know um and i agree with you i like a good debate i don't think that we should all be in lockstep with each other no no um i certainly don't want to be surrounded by sycophants um you know because this is how we learn we we, we come together with different ideas like we, we did with robbie's book um this is how we progress and how we learn but there are these trickster like people <laughs> that seem to be part of this whole phenomena or and including the 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 social aspects of it yeah. and they do they they come in just to cause trouble now i i mean that could be anywhere on the internet okay but as far as trolls go but <laughs> it seems to be something it, it really seems to play itself out and almost cause these sides these factions of people within ufology yeah uh, i i it's it's in parapsychology a little bit certainly it's with the ghost people the people that are doing their ghost hunting you see the same sort of thing as you do but it can get very vicious with ufology yeah why and like, is that I, I, I don't i don't uh, this is why like you know you don't really see much of me out there um because I, I, some of these people are just really brutal and 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 just mean and i don't know what it is but yeah. It, it does seem to be part and part of that whole sort of negative negativity that also there's this whole negative side to the whole UFO thing. Yeah, there, there is. is. Yeah. Heel, spooky, kind of mean, creepy whole right. area of it, you know. And some of these creepier people come along with that, I think. Mm. How do you, well, you know, some people would say that's because, well, you don't like conflict and you don't want to listen to, you know, reason. It's like, no, I don't think that's what's going on. Listening no. to reason and, and, and listening to somebody's opinion is one thing and saying, have you, you know, what's the, what's the best way to, to open a, not an argument, but a discussion, I think is quietly, privately saying, have you considered this? Exactly. And that's all you have to say instead of, you're an idiot. What the hell is wrong with you? Why do you listen to this crap? Any of that stuff is, have you considered this? 
And that's, yeah. that is, you know, one, it's not threatening. And two, if you do it privately, I think that's very important too. If you yeah. do it privately, you have a lot better chance of changing somebody's mind or at least making them consider something. I've had some vicious arguments with people and then I go offline and say, look, I don't want to fight with you. Um, have you, and as soon as it becomes private, the attitude changes completely. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're no, you no longer have the audience, right? right exactly. As you said, it's almost like it's theater, like, and people are playing yeah. their role. Yeah. Yeah. But I've seen that too. And, and, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's about confrontation at all. Um, you know, I like to be challenged and I like to debate, but mm -hmm. yeah. not if I'm going to be called names or, you know, so, and I find that, that, that can happen a lot, um, in these UFO forums. So I, I kind of stay clear of them. I do lurk in a lot of them and read because I like to learn. But, um, and I, I like to explore people's different ideas and opinions, but I, I try not to engage too much if I think that it's gonna, you know, it's just gonna devolve into something that, you know, <laughs> I just waste my time and waste their time, and yeah. especially the ETH, because I can come in and I can say, well, you know, have you considered this? And then if they're really married to the ETH, like a religion, then yeah, there's nothing you can talk they're, they're about. Not gonna listen, they're, just, they're not going to listen to me anyway. I'm I'm going to come across like a dick to them. Yeah. Right. So I, mean, I just yeah. From their point yeah. of view, because it's if, if people have fixed ideas about things, which I think is probably 95 percent of people. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've, I was going to say there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, there is something wrong with that. I think that causes a lot of problems. But um, if somebody's going to have a fixed idea or some, about something, it's kind of useless to talk to them. I, I don't really want to have a debate with somebody whose mind is made up because I come in, into the b debate thinking I'm probably right. In fact, I'm pretty sure I am. But if I'm yeah. not, I'm going to have to keep my antenna up for that because what am I going to do when somebody brings that up again? Just ignore it. If I've, if there's, if I've got it, if I'm, uh, I'm in error, I can't, I can't and, and be, you know, you, you can't be honest with yourself without saying, look, I may have made a mistake here. Exactly. Um, and people don't like to admit that publicly. People don't like to say, uh, apologize. They don't like to admit that maybe someone else might have a better point or, Hey, maybe I should reconsider this. Um, like you said, people might do that in private, but in general, people don't like to do that. This is yeah. my thing anyway, in public. Right. And, 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 and it's wrong. There's no shame in saying, you know what? Oh, hey, I didn't consider it from that point of view. I mean, we're dealing, especially with this topic. The only thing we really know for certain is that people, you know, have this experience. Right. That's all we know. Uh -huh. We don't, everything else is guessing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it is. We're, we're guessing. Yeah. We can yeah, have yeah. educated or knowledgeable guesses, but it's it's guesses. You know, I mean, people want to say it's the ETH, but, you know, where is the true alien body? You know, and yeah. don't tell me it's in a freezer in someone's basement somewhere, you know. Like it's, At Wright-Patterson no, or whatever, you know, yeah. Exactly. Give us the evidence that it is an alien and that it's biological. Yeah. And Until you know, then, I'm, we can keep talking, you know, until then, until somebody just brings it out, brings out something physical publicly that everybody can see, touch, or maybe not touch, but at least go and see yeah. the provenance is, is, uh, is established. There are enough people who are hopefully involved whatever, with whatever it is personally to get, then, you know, I think we can start listening. But until then, a lot of it is, um, to, to coin a phrase up in the air. 
Exactly. It, exactly. And we should be fine with that. You know what? I've yes. people, this certainty fetish really pisses me off. So. Yeah, it's a certainty. And then there, of course, there are people who are willing to play into that certainty and, and, and make a cottage industry out of it. Uh, I don't want to name too many names, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. dragging a mummy out of a museum yeah. and proclaiming it an alien. <laughs> or dragging a slide <laughs> that's, of a mummy that's, out. That's very, that's very uh, you know. Yeah, I thought that was a valuable lesson to a lot of people. And most people were kind of like, oh, I knew it. But the thing was that I thought the important part of the Roswell Slides thing, I was in that group. I just never did anything because I didn't think it was a very important case. I thought, oh, great. Here's another one that nobody's ever going to care about it. And it's uh, not going to make any difference. The fact that, you know, I'm sitting there looking at my computer one day and a couple guys say, I think we figured this out. And I was like, what? And I looked and I said, oh, my God, they did. (laughs) <laughs> and which is fine. That really surprised me because like, okay, here's some definitive evidence that says this was false. Yeah. But on top of that, in the next day or two, I'm hearing people saying online here and there, it's like, maybe we should really watch about what I was like, okay, it actually affected people to the point where they, they accepted that once in a while, <laughs> at least that people can be fooled or fool themselves more, more importantly. And yeah. that was important to me. That's why it, Two days after they said we solved the slides, like, you guys got to come on my show. We've got to talk about this. And these these hoaxes too. I mean, I I have. And to it wasn't a hoax. They, I think it was a self. I think it was a self delusional hoax. It could be. It could be. Well, um, that's being kind, it, I guess. And I always try to be kind. So. Well, yeah, no, we should we should err on the side of being kind because it could be a self delusional hoax. Yeah. But there are purposeful hoaxes, right? Um, and I also consider that they too are probably part of the phenomena mm-hmm. and not something that we're going to get away from because hoaxing is something also you see in, in parapsychology and, um, with some of the poltergeist witnesses and experiencers that you have like a mixed bag of what could be, um, real phenomena, real psi phenomena along with hoaxing. Right, right, right. And, and if we kind of consider it from the grander perspective of, of a narrative, as you had mentioned, like the story, uh, maybe the hoaxing, it really doesn't matter if it's true or not, but it matters whether people believe it's true. Right. Uh, so I think that, that Valet had mentioned something about myths being truer than true. It didn't matter if they were a myth or not, because they were truer than true as long as people believed in them i'm paraphrasing here i should find their exact quote but right. it kind of it also works into the ideas um sometimes discussed by dr kripal jeff kripal which i find him very interesting too right uh, his ideas and thoughts um i'm behind on kripal i have to finish his book his one of his books anyway Authors of the Impossible is probably one of my favorites but also the Mystics and Mutants is yeah, a good that, that's one that's the one i'm i'm going through right now yeah, yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I just, I find that um, all of these people and and these different ideas, they're very refreshing, and 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 they're adding something new to the conversation anyway that we haven't really seen since the 1970s, which is uh, why I kind of I I did my essay for Robbie's book on high strangeness because I feel it was something that was being addressed in the 1970s. Um, and then somewhere in the 1980s, it all just fell off a cliff and, mm. and kind of got really embroiled into 
uh, conspiracy theory and people were not really concentrating anymore on some of the more interesting parapsychological uh, phenomena that can occur with UFOs. Right. And, uh, and, and so that's why I kind of concentrated my essay on that because I think that's another area where we're missing out a lot, a wealth of information um, by ignoring the fact that people do have telepathy with these things. Uh, they do have synchronicities uh, and, and other associated types of uh, phenomena uh, that that could by by really looking at that and looking at the symbols and the symbology to the person how symbolic something is to the witness themselves um, again all of this stuff is just is more promotion of better questions perhaps um, than any real answers but I think it's a good direction and and I think that Dr. Kripal's stuff and uh, George Hansen's stuff and you know, there's a lot of uh, really interesting thinkers right now out there that uh, that are adding, yeah. adding, and, and hopefully progressing, including us. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, <laughs> the, the, back. Uh, I hope so. I see the prominence of what you just uh, discussed there, and what you know, the basically the theme of what we're discussing here. I see that prominence coming up a lot more. I see it discussed, in, and it, it's. I think it's because of the podcast thing. If it weren't for the podcast thing, I think that the freedom for those ideas to start percolating would not be there as they were in days before internet uh, broadcasting. Uh, I think that's played a huge role for people to start having these kind of conversations rather than just the, you know, uh, nuts and bolts um, versus don't exist fundamentalist skeptic thing. Cause all these, I, these debates have been going on since almost the beginning, you know, the 1950s, some of these same debates were going on in different, in different ways and with, in di with different words, but the same themes. But we haven't really, the, it's not really been, you know, and then it had probably a renaissance in the 60s, or early 70s with Valet and Keel, a few others, and wow. then kind of went dormant, I think really until maybe the mid to late 90s, a little bit with the zines. Well, that's my point of view because I was involved in that. And yeah. then maybe in the last very short time, like in the last couple of years, I see this stuff being exposed a lot more. People with these ideas are on, on shows like Coast to Coast. I could not believe people are discussing these ideas on a mainstream show like that. So I think that all of this stuff is opening up and it's good. And like you said, um, questions, different questions are more important. Understanding is important. Answers are probably the least important part of this uh, equation, I think. I think so as well. I mean, likely whatever is truly going on is so far advanced and beyond our, our, our way of thinking at the moment that we may not even understand it at all, you know, and, and, I mean, it's it's now it's more about trying to come at this on a multidiscipline type approach and and looking at different ideas and being open to different ideas and realizing that, you know what, we're guessing. So, I mean, I'm on I'm on this sort of tact right now with the trickster ideas as well. And I really appreciate what Jeff Ritzman is doing. Mm -hmm. But I'm also open to the fact that I could be completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but. I, you know, I, I do feel a sense of um, that we're moving as uh, I, I don't really really want to say UFO community, but I, I guess a study uh, towards better questions and, and towards more interesting stuff. And and I do agree that that the podcasting um, and maybe some of the social forums have helped right. a lot because I, I mean, I can't believe I haven't found you earlier because you and I are very similar in, in our thoughts and, and things that we're doing. 
And, uh, and I just remember for years, like I, occasionally I'd find someone a, that would be, you know, kind of really an interesting read like Mac Tony's. I remember right. in the early two thousands with the post-human blues and the, the crypto terrestrials. And I thought, wow, here is someone who's really thinking outside the box. And, you know, and it's not just the same old, it's nothing or it's aliens. Uh, and, and I thought that was really cool, but it was very hard to find people that we're doing something a little bit different. And now I think it's easier, like you said, and more accepting, perhaps people are, are willing to listen and, and, and consider that maybe it's not aliens. Yeah. You know, I used to, th- I used to want to do like, um, like a YouTube where I took one of those big blow up alien dolls, <laughs> took a big pin and just pop it. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't find this picture. I'm still looking for it. I'm sure I have the negative because I shot it on film, I'm pretty sure. I was at one of the International UFO Congresses with uh, my friends um, Rob Sterling, Ken Thomas, and the late Acharya, Dorothy Murdoch. They had one of those giant, like, you know, 50-foot tall alien, blow-up aliens with the, with the fan going, just keep it you know, to keep in front of the hotel where the oh, yeah. Congress was going on. And... I found out that by and, and it was waving at you. It had a hand up. I found out there was a way we all bent the fingers down and it had a middle finger up. And I took a picture. <laughs> I took a picture of them holding all the fingers down and all like smiling and giving the camera the middle finger. And the, this giant uh-huh. alien had its one you know five foot high middle finger up. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's and that's what they're doing too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> F you people. And it's ever so slightly out of focus, too, which makes it even better. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. Oh, I love that stuff. Uh, you know, and that's, that's kind of what's missing, too. We don't have as much comedy. You know, we got to bring that the, the fun, the, the humanity back into the whole study. I used to really love Jim Mosley's stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was funny because I, I you were in one of his. Uh, I remember reading about you in one of his saucer smears. But, I mean, I just thought the guy was hysterically yeah. funny. He was you a know. pretty good friend. I very much missed Jim. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I just I, I just enjoyed his book so much. And I always say that it's one of my favorite books. It's shockingly close to the truth. <laughs> because <laughs> because it's, uh, it's, it's just a mixture of, of, of real experiences and yeah. comedy and interesting things. Yeah. And He says this know, shit's funny and he admits it. And nobody wants to admit a lot of it's really funny. It is. It really is. That's why I, I, it's funny because I just I thought of, of, of you know, Jim Mosley when you mentioned about the, the, you know, pulling down the fingers and, and, and having the alien give you that sort of in a blurry photo yet. Yeah. I mean, you could see that they're all smiling and flipping you off and the alien has a big finger up, but it's ever so slightly out of focus. Jim, yeah, he 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 will all see the humor in something and would bring that to the front. You know, the funniest UFO Set, you know, the, the funniest thing I've ever read about in, in the UFO literature, apart mm-hmm. from some of the weird contactee stuff and all that, the, the really outlandish stuff, yeah. is do you have the UFO encyclopedia, the J- Jerome Clark UFO encyclopedia? Yes, I do. Have you read the section on sex and UFOs? <laughs> it's the funny. I mean, it's like reading a comedy. It's like it's like reading a book that, that was written by a comedian. It's amazing. You just I laughed through the entire section. 
Yeah, no, and and it's brilliant. And, you know, people really do have these experiences. But, I mean, I, I remember, like, speaking of Jim Mosley, that's one of my favorite chapters in his book is about the woman who was having this, this sexual affair with Bigfoot. Who and the reason Mosley got involved in this is because Bigfoot <laughs> arrived in a UFO, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and the UFO was a hot, looked like a hot air balloon. Like there you go. Um, and but I mean, this is this is comedy gold in, in one sense. Yeah, I mean, but, we're not laughing at it. It's like, oh, what a bunch of idiots. It's just kind of like this. That somebody actually I, reported this. How did it get filtered through their mind to be so insane like this? And, you know, damn it, it is funny. You can take it seriously and yeah. laugh at it at the same time. I think that's perfectly exactly. right. You know? I, I'm just I was marveling how Jim could have sat there. And taken this report and kept a straight face. <laughs> I don't know if I could have. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, like I said, there there does seem to be that that whole sexual component as well, and right. some of it can be very dark as yes. far as the the phenomena goes. But mm-hmm. I mean, there is an it's there's an absurdity that lends itself to comedy, and and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with with laughing. Certainly not at the experiencers, but even just at ourselves. You know, are not taking ourselves fully so seriously, which I think a lot in the UFO community do that too much as well as they take themselves far too seriously. You know what? I find that privately, a lot of them don't. The point is to take them not so self so seriously publicly, too. Yes. Yes, exactly. Because, uh, you know, you put the put the human factor back in on it. And then that also makes people feel more comfortable, I think, in in talking, you know, like one of the things I do when I go and talk to some of the witnesses is I'll bring my little ET doll, you know, and have it stuffed in my backpack where so they can recognize me, you know, there's the crazy UFO girl. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I find it's an icebreaker. And and then people see me more, you know, uh, as a as fellow human being, and and I and this is why as well, I'm I'm not shy about expressing that I've had these experiences as well, and I find that that kind of breaks the ice, and then people are willing to talk a little more, you know, and share their more strange strange experiences. Yeah, because you know, they they know you're not this straight laced person that wants to get the information and make sure that it's like no 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 no. This is yeah. a completely destabilizing thing and i will talk to you here in a second my next question is about you know your investigation a completely destabilizing thing trying to take it 100 percent seriously actually and uh, you've just mentioned that it would keep people from talking about things Mm -hmm. you know i've put them at their ease like look you can say whatever you want i see the absurdity in this we both see the absurdity in this and there's no reason not to tell me about how some I've talked to people. I'm not an investigator, but I've talked to people. And it's like, you know, and then I saw, you know, whatever it was. And I saw, uh, 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 a, um, and then I saw a scarecrow sitting in the, in my car or something like that. It's like, I, yeah. I, I say, and they look at me. It's like crazy, right? You know, they start laughing. It's like, yeah, it is crazy, but it's, it's, uh, please go on. I want to anything extremely strange like that. I want to hear because if we block any of the parts of this out, we're missing. Messages are being sent to us, whether they're from somewhere else or from us trying to make a more sense of what we're we're seeing. And yeah. if you block part of those uh, messages out by not being open to them, I think you're going to miss out on a whole lot of better questions, better understanding, and and uh, fun for that matter. Yes, yes, and I and I agree with you that. There seems to be some sort of an information exchange, whether that's with ourselves or a greater 
I don't know, consciousness or, or an alien intelligence. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it, it, a lot of these experiences, they are very absurd in the way that dreams are absurd. Right. Dream logic. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And I mean, there is there's some symbolic meaning, I think, that may not be truly exactly what we're getting as far as the content, but there might be, you know, something symbolic in there in that message that if we just, you know, try and go through and edit these experiences because, oh, this this sounds too crazy or this, you know, you know, sweep that under the rug because it kind of embarrasses UFOs. Well, (laughs) Then, you know, ufology, then, then we're losing all that data that could, could in fact be helpful. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Ufology is perfectly capable of disinforming itself. Exactly. There's, <laughs> there's a t-shirt for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a, that's a quote. And there's a quote in, uh, Project Betas uh, at the beginning of one of the chapters. It's, it said overheard at UFO convention. Ufology is perfectly. Yeah. It's a good one. A yeah. good one for the t-shirt too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it does all the time and, and, and we should be okay with that, but recognize that that's what's going on and that's part of the conversation. And it is a conversation, I believe. It's not a, it's not a, here's something, here's something for you to look at. Okay. Now it's gone. Go ahead and deal with it. I believe it's far more rich than that. And I know you do too. So I do. I do. We're, we're on the same page and I think in a lot of areas. You know, as far as this is concerned. Except that you've done far more field work in talking to people than I ever have. I've done it by accident and you've done it by intention. How long you've been doing that? And, you know, when you investigate or talk to people, what what are you looking for? Has that changed over the years? It has changed over the years. Um, I I had gotten involved a little bit, not as a MUFON member, but I had gotten involved in going out to some MUFON events in the 90s. Um, and I did pick up the investigator manual, which at, I don't know what the recent one is like, but at that time it was really excellent. Um, all right. You I have had, a siren on your end. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. You can hear it. <laughs> Spooky. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, you'll have to let me in on the inside joke. Um, but I, I, so I did, I did kind of follow a bit of a more nuts and bolts, but as times progressed, I've, I'm more now. Uh, taking in the same kind of information, but also if the case is warranted, like if it's something that's involving high strangeness in that, I will delve more into the witness, um, who they are, what they're going through, maybe take a look at more of, um, the, the time and the context of, of, of where they're having this experience. Uh, I've done that with UFOs. I've also done that with ghosts. And if you go to my website, um, I did a, an analysis on the, uh, on one of the more famous ghost cases, which is the Chuntelham ghost, um, which perhaps is, is the basis of the woman in black, the hmm. book and the film. Yeah. Um, which is very, very well documented ghost case. Um, and I did some analysis on that and, and by kind of looking at ideas again, going back to George Hansen and liminality and tricksterishness and that I, if you look at it through a different lens, um, then new information, new ideas start to emerge, which again, could give us better questions. So this is kind of what I'm doing. And I'm doing this with, um, Dr. Eric Willette. Uh, who wrote the book Illuminations. Um, yes. And he, 
he and I are looking at putting together different models um, that we can examine cases with that might also produce better questions. And look, there's another siren. Oh, my goodness. The thing with the sirens is I used for years, I was at this uh, internet station called Kill Radio, and I was at the intersection, a very busy intersection, which was kind of a crossroads of um, fire and, and ambulance activity. Mm-hmm. So every single show, many times, multiple times, sirens would go by. And people would, people start saying, first it was kind of like, what's that siren? Like, oh, I'm at a busy intersection. And then finally people's like, where are the sirens? We don't even, we won't even believe it's you <laughs> or you're having a live show unless you have the sirens. And now I do the show from home. And so now it's kind of a leitmotif and a joke with the show. It's like, where are the sirens? Where are the sirens? And so, um, a very, you're one of the very few guests that actually provided sirens for me when I can't oh. have them here. Oh wow! Well, you know, that's great. I'm I'm happy I was able to do that. That's, that's good. That's a synchronicity. Awesome. Yeah. 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 So now, where were we? We were talking. I'm sorry. We were talking. You were talking about your methodology. Who you've talked to. You had brought up uh, a ghost case that you had, had worked on, and and your last statement was, well, you know, it's we're providing more questions actually, and there there's something. I mean. It, what parallels do you see between, you know, the ghost stuff that you've looked into and the UFO thing? Because people um, generally put them in different categories and there, there's a lot of reasons to put them in different categories, but there's quite a few to put them in the same category too. And uh, what do you see as the similarities? Well, that they tend to be very absurd and that they are happening to human beings or human beings are reporting these exceptionally or these absurd experiences. Mm-hmm. Um when we start stripping away all of the different labels that we assign to these experiences, the mechanisms themselves could be very much the same. Um, and, you know, when you look again at that sort of uh, the idea that liminality plays a role in paranormal experience, uh, you can look at where people experience UFOs uh, as, as they tend to be lonely kind of country roads or at crossroads, things of that nature. And then you look at ghosts and again, they're overly represented in windows, which are like thresholds or doorways, mm-hmm. stairways, hallways, um, things of that nature. When you start looking at these patterns, um, they, they seem to dovetail. Uh, certainly, uh, The falling leaf pattern is one that is occasionally associated with these saucers or these UFOs that they display this falling leaf pattern. That's also a pattern that you see in uh, poltergeist cases where you might have an inanimate object that floats almost like a leaf to the ground um, with unseen hands. So these are kind of things when you're looking at both parapsychology and ufology, uh, you can start seeing that there are some there are things that are different. Yes. But there are also uh, some commonalities as well. So when you start stripping away all the the labeling that we put in the descriptors, it it very well could be a similar mechanism behind both experiences. Mm -hmm. And of course, with ghosts, you have the little light balls. You have the little, you know, not necessarily the giant balls of light, but you have have little balls of light. Right. Do you find that there's a... I'm trying to think of what I was going to ask. Oh, that... Ghost investigators, and I haven't talked to too many on my show. It's been a while, but mm-hmm. they tend to go. They they tend to 
to get rid of or ignore the stranger aspects of things like what happened before, what happened after, what's going on in your family? Are these the kind of questions that a ghost investigator asks or are they pretty much most of them solely focused on the phenomenon itself? They seem much like ufologists. They're, they're the ghostly counterparts of the ufologists, um, some of them anyway. Uh, they seem to be also stuck on the phenomena and ascribing histories to a phenomena and, and describing apparitions and things as opposed, again, to looking at um, the witnesses, Context, which, which, which are the tangible. This, this is the only really tangible thing is the mm. human being who's uh, describing their experience. Yeah. Beyond mm. that, it's all, you know, it's subjective and it's all after the fact. It's so I find similarities that way, too. And and I think that the, the people that are doing the ghost investigations could broaden their horizons a little bit as well. You know, because, again, that's the DPH or the dead people hypothesis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the ETH, really hasn't gotten us to any greater understanding of what's going on, in my opinion. Do you notice people trying to change that uh, as they are, as we've just been talking about here with UFO study? Are there people in the ghost hunting community that are kind of trying to break that mold? Um, I don't really spend as much time on, on the ghost hunting community as I do the um, with the UFOs. Uh, but surely there's probably people out there that are also kind of doing that probably more within parapsychological circles. Right, right. Um, that would that would make sense. Yeah, than the actual people who are more like going out more maybe as a hobby and hanging out at haunted houses and that, you know. Yeah, I think you hear about the hobbyists much more because they're the they're the ones that are probably in, into it more for the ego and, you know, what look what we found and all that. Um, yeah. The people that are doing it, the kind of thing that I asked you about are probably doing it quietly in the background. Um, which is what they should be doing. I think all this, in sh- all of this research should be going on quietly in the background. Um, yes. Because as soon as ego enters into it, um, and you know, look what I did or look what we did or whatever it, I, I think that, I, I think that takes away from the, the research somehow. I mean, when you're finished with it, go ahead and tell everybody, but you know, and, and say, look, this is what we did or this is what I did and I'm moving on. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go look at something else now. Uh, let's see, you know. It, well, it's also you know, move, the, move around like like uh, 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 mimic the obliqueness of the subject. Yeah, but it's also I think that, um, and I'm going to go out a little bit on the limb by saying this. It also seems that when the ego becomes fully engaged, there's almost a like a falling out hmm. with the phenomena itself. I don't know why that is, but the phenomena it seems to favor secrecy uh at least this is what i find um with my experimental work because i have been and i know we we discussed that a little bit as well no we'll discuss it more that was more that was part of my questions oh okay i'm getting ahead of you (laughs) no please it it doesn't matter we've got we've got another what a half hour for as long as you want to go but expand as much as you want to forever you're so fun to talk to well, thank you. So are you. I mean, that's these are the kind of people I have on the show. If somebody comes on the show, and uh, it, I was thinking about this early, they come on the show and I ask them a question, they go blah 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 blah. Finish. Like, you please go on. You don't have to, and you're not doing this, but it's like this is a conversation. It's not a. It's not a back. You know, it's a back and forth. It's not a. I ask a question, you give an answer, because I'm not yeah. going to have somebody on that I don't know anything about or I completely disagree with, because mm-hmm. I think un- unless they're 
a very smart person that I completely disagree with or somebody I consider a smart person. So, yeah, this can flow any way it's going to go. It doesn't matter. And if you if you stumble onto something I'm going to ask you a question about later, we'll just deal with it while we're talking about it. And uh, we'll go for as long as that goes. I mean, I, I, I cannot think of anything more boring than having a question and answer session. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I agree, especially when it comes to listening, you know, as a listener, I, yeah. I like your conversation. But methodology and research, I do find that secrecy is important. I'm not 100% certain why that is. Hmm. But I do feel that sometimes these people will have well, with the UFO celebrities, you might have in the beginning, some very valid and interesting information or experiences. And then it, once the ego becomes engaged, it's almost as if they have this falling out with the phenomena and they kind of have to embellish or keep the showmanship up, um, which then the information and everything becomes questionable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I find that it's better to kind of disengage the ego and, and like you said, work quietly uh, on what you have to do until you're ready to publish. And then at that point, yeah, you know, publish, share your information. Yeah. You know, um, it has to and, be shared. And, well, and it doesn't be, have to be, but exactly. And be prepared to, you know, to, to, to argue or defend or learn, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's nothing wrong with peer review, right. uh, but it's a lot different than being attacked on a social forum. Um, right. Someone just that's, that's what, yeah. <laughs> Ufology peer review is troll attacks. and nobody nobody needs that um, but yeah so that this is what i find anyway is that um when i'm doing things uh current projects in that i tend really not to talk to too much about uh i just sort of let them evolve but what i do is um and not just only go out and, and interview witnesses, but I have been working on actually trying to provoke or invoke the phenomena in different ways, including I'm on clapping off microphone here very loudly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> in, in, um, go ahead. I was going to say in what way, but go ahead. Uh, Unless you don't want to talk about it, which is probably the best thing. It's probably the best thing. I can talk about it a little bit. I have two different projects. One is a group project that I'm working on, which is something similar to what we discussed um, prior mm-hmm. in our conversation, um, which is based around uh, some work that was done in the 70s. Uh, I, I don't know how much I want to get into it because it's, it's currently – yeah, okay. I won't. Um, <laughs> but uh, we got to we got to follow our own rules here. Okay, we follow. Our <laughs> own. But I want to make it interesting for people too, and 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 maybe um, you know inspire others to go out and, and try doing similar things. Yeah, well, you can also tell people like what ideas have you had that you thought might be useful for people to to engage with it? Because you know, one of my latest things uh, I think you've heard is. Um, I think the best way for one of the best ways for UFO study to move forward is to find some way for everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people to engineer or have some sort of experience where they know very specifically in their own mind and um, in a ver- on a very deep level that there really is something there and something that they should pay attention to and something that uh, uh, deserves study. Because just talking about it doesn't really work. 
the the thing is to make it more what's it, democratic for everybody. It's like the, the the a way to get interested in it very quickly is to have something happen to you that's unequivocally strange. Yes, yes, and I think some of the ways we can do that is through art. Mm. Uh, it's through narrative. One of my projects I'm working on um, it involves a narrative uh, which is semi-fictional, but is designed to provoke the phenomena. Mm-hmm. And this is a group sort of situation um, where we're each contributing to the story and seeing how the story um, evolves and if it will evolve into the outer world. So mm-hmm. that's sort of kind of running at the moment. Right. Um, that, that's a great method. I mean, I, I think I think there are a few other people I've heard that are doing that. And I would love to see the phenom- – this is a Valet's thing. He's, he said, uh, what if you change a ther- thermostat you don't know what the thermostat is, but you notice that the temperature changes. So you know that there's a direct causal relationship between that thermostat and the temperature in the room going down. You're not exactly sure what it is, but you have established a causal relationship, which you didn't have before. Exactly. Yeah. So by doing these types of little experiments and which what I do is, um, as I keep, I, I document, is very thoroughly I, I look at them as as science as a scientific experiment um although i do incorporate things such as magical practices so this falls more into my own spirituality which is which is newer for me i wasn't doing this like 20 years ago mm-hmm. um but this more in the last 10 years i would say i've started doing this uh where i'm incorporating that into my ufo studies and into the experiments themselves though I'm using that sort of more as a tool while at the same time I'm, you know, I'm documenting this as I would like a, a, a proper scientific experiment. Right. So yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to marry both together. So magic and science, I know that they don't seem to always work, but I think they could work. Um, well, magic is a science. It's, 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 it's doing it's, something that's scientific in order to do, to have a result that's not classically scientific. Yes, yes. So I, I'm. I that is what I'm doing. Um, and uh, yeah, no, you explained it brilliantly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, it's perfect. It's perfect. And and that's kind of where my head's at right now. Is I'm trying to absolutely interact more with the phenomena on different levels. Uh, also utilizing the internet to do so, which I do believe the phenomena does operate through really how do you I want to elaborate in in a in a very synchronistic way oh, i see and uh, you yeah. mean it sort of acts as a bridge um as a communication uh for phenomena that uh, would not normally be accessed as things that are connected does that make sense yes exactly yeah. um we have an immediate yeah. feedback whereas in the past you would have to have somebody send a letter or it's like, oh wow that happened at the same time this time this way you have pretty much immediate feedback exactly and you can also put out information that's designed to be provocative and see how that sort of translates back hmm. towards, um and usually is a synchronicity um something that might happen or someone might type something or say something or You'll see something in a very instantaneous way, but you'll recognize it as a synchronicity and maybe meaningless to anyone else. But because you're doing it, you can recognize that. Right. And I've been doing that and I've been keeping a record of it as well and documenting. Yeah, that's the important part because most people don't do that. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you treat it as a study and as a, you know, it's almost like a, it's either on the one hand, you've got a, you know, a, a record of your experiments uh, in, in that kind of mode. On the other hand, you have a magical diary. Exactly. It's one in the same. Yeah. And, and now, and I'm a little bit more freer to discuss it now too. Um, you know, before, for many years, I worked in a very conservative sort of uh, industry. I was working within the financial and insurance sector for many years. So I kind of kept like the UFO stuff was somewhat acceptable and yeah. respectable, but magical things or, or, or that, that no, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of misconceptions. So I kind of kept that more underground for myself, but now I'm a little bit more open about it and I'm a little bit more open that I'm using this to experiment with, with the phenomena. Yeah. Well, I've, I, th- that renaissance is, is been, um, is, is a long time coming and I think, uh, none too soon. And I hope people continue with it. I mean, I'm, I'm, people like you I have on talking about it. I've, I think it encourages others of a like mind, intelligent people who don't have a closed mind about it to go out and do their own things. And I think we're just seeing the start of this. And in probably five or 10 years, a lot of this data is going to start falling on us um, from all these little experiments. Maybe not even in that long because we have the internet, like we said. Maybe in a couple of years, some of this, some of these things are going to start falling back on us, and we can see what effect that, that uh, paying attention to it in this way has been having. Uh, because before it was just you know just a few people here and there, and they kind of kept it to themselves. Now mm-hmm. they don't have to do that. So that you know, and you know, how does that, like you said, that how does that reflect back on the phenomena too? Exactly. Because I do, I, I subscribe quite a bit to your co-creation hypothesis. I think it's very valid, and I think that there is evidence for it. Um, yeah. So I, I, so absolutely, I think that these little experiments that are, are coming up now, certainly, yeah, definitely within the next five years or so, we're going to hear more about. And it's interesting times, and it's interesting times to be studying these phenomena in this way. Yeah, it's like it's I I'm glad I'm alive and looking at this thing where these part kinds of uh uh communication channels are available to us. You can have a virtual group doing anything online now whereas before you had to either do it by phone, which is kind of ridiculous, or actually have the physical people together. Some of the most important people I know, um important to me, um mm-hmm. are widely separated but geographically. But Every week or two or three or every month, we're suddenly all together in one place. Uh, we can either do it uh, by Skype or we could be in a chat room or do it by Facebook or whatever. But the, these things are – it's like being alive when – I'm glad I wasn't born in the 1800s because I wouldn't be able to fly. That exactly. Kind of thing. I'm glad I'm being, I was born in the you know uh, in the 60s because I'm able to uh, still be alive and, and cognizant and, and doing this in a in a place where – these amazing tools are available to us. Exactly. I agree. Um, you know, and, and I think the future is bright in that way for, for ufology, UFO studies. Certainly, uh, it seems to be going back into a renaissance from the 1970s where we did see valet and Heineck and people discussing all these really fabulous, interesting ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that we're going into that again, and and I'm I'm far more optimistic than I was five years ago. Uh, yeah, me too. Study, even if we never have an answer, I'm not. Yeah, just, screw answers. Exactly. We're, just, <laughs> you know, we're having a good time. We're having fun. We can laugh occasionally, you know. 
<laughs> which is good. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and absolutely maybe get some better questions going. Yeah. And that's I, what the, I'm kind of at. Yeah. The goal, the goal I think is better questions. And then I, I've in the, I think in my talk or maybe in the essay, I said, um, I, I'm using the word understanding rather than answer. Uh, yeah. I would like a better understanding. I don't want an answer because if you, uh, the reason I said screw answers is because you've, you've already, you've created a closed loop by saying I want an answer. Exactly. And, and that's just what the phenomenon wants you to do. <laughs> I, I think so because it's, it is a joker. It is a cosmic trickster joker. It's with its absurdity. Yeah. You know, I think so. You know, so no, we're not going to fall into that trap. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. And when you say trickster, I mean, it, it, we're not, you know, it, it's a lens. It's not a, it's not a uh, thing where you're saying this is reality in the way it is. This is a lens yeah. that we look through it for a while to see what we can get out of it. And some, exactly. some of these lenses have a lot more, when you focus them, have a lot more stuff to look at. Exactly. So the, 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 that is what we are doing. It's not like, you know, like there's an actual physical joker sitting here going, ha ha. But it, <laughs> it is, it, or maybe there is, I don't know, but I don't think so. Yeah. These are just different lenses and these are different tools again. Hopefully to develop different models that we might be able to look and reexamine some of these, uh, older cases with and some of these newer cases. Right. And just see if new information or new questions emerge from that. That's, that's sort of where we're at with this. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is. It's just, it's a different way and just adding new ideas and different ideas to this age old problem that the ETH over the last 70 some odd years really hasn't, really hasn't gone anywhere with it. It hasn't, yeah. it's got sort of stagnant now. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, can't, it doesn't have to be thrown out. I mean, I, I've never said you, ETH yeah. should, is absolutely false and should be thrown out. I mean, it's kind of like that, that. There's no evidence to say that you can say that. Yeah. However, there's also no evidence can you, that you can say that there, it's definitively answered. Um, exactly. As far as I can tell. So it's just kind of like, you know, a few years ago, I was, uh, people started saying, why do you keep complaining about ufology so much? You know, why don't you, why do you keep whining? And then finally Bruce Duensing, um, the late Bruce Duensing said, uh, well, you've been whining about this so much. Why don't you do something about it? So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop whining about it and start championing things that I think are helpful and moving things forward and forget about complaining about it. I, I, yeah. I, there's plenty of people complaining about it. It's really easy to complain. It's probably the easiest thing in the world, which is why everybody does it. It's much harder to, to, to do something about it. Um, or you know, a little less hard, but to say, look, I, the, these are good ideas. I think these should be, you know, I've got this forum, the, this show, and mm-hmm. people listen to it. And uh, my, my hope is that, and I think you probably have this too, is that you will do something or say something that makes somebody go, wait a second, aha, have an idea That's- that you haven't even thought of that pushes everything uh, into a completely different and fruitful and fun direction. That's exactly that's exactly the, the the hope and the plan is that you want to trigger off better ideas. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, I, I, you and I don't have those answers, but maybe in our conversation, like you said, someone will be triggered into saying, ha ha, you know, maybe I'll try this or, yeah. you know, exactly. That's, that's what we need more of. Right. Um, and not just, you know, sycophants and, and, and people just all agreeing with each other and, 
you know, there's nothing new. So, <laughs> cause that gets boring too, you know, like, yeah. you know, you're taking this really amazing thing and kind of breaking it down and making it dull. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, you know, at least that's how I feel after doing it for how many years now. Um, but I, I, I always enjoyed that occasionally there would be pockets of people like you had mentioned Bruce Duessing. I remember some of his comments were just like mind boggling and I, I, I would have to read them yeah. maybe two or three times, Me too. Four times to really just so they'd sink in. And then mm-hmm. it would be like there'd be this eureka, this little, you know, light bulb going off in my own brain and my own mind thinking this is this is awesome stuff. Yeah. You know, this guy's a genius. Yeah. I had him on my show once. I don't know how many interviews he ever did, but I did have him on on my show a few months before he passed away. Oh, wow. Oh, that's great. That is available for for people to listen to. And then after he passed away, my friend Robert and uh, Miguel and I, we Mm -hmm. did an entire show just talking about what did Bruce teach us? um, What is interesting about his, uh, his work? Uh, how can we boil it down into a place where we can, you know, we can use and understand what he did and, and move forward with it? Um, one of the most amazing things that he told me during our interview is, I don't know if I asked the question or what. I, I think, I don't know where the question from, but came from, but the, the question was, if you met an alien or some other or something that was non-human, what would you ask it? What would be your question, your first question? You take everything that he wrote and boil it down into one uh, statement. He said, I would ask it, what am I? Yeah. <laughs> Abs- wow. Absolutely amazing. That, See- yeah. I hope you have that archived because I would love to listen to that. I do. It's on there. Go down the list on Radio Mysterioso and you can find the interview with Bruce. I think there's a I- picture of him holding his cat or something like that. That's the... <laughs> Um, that's, that's a, that's the picture I use. I'm not sure, but anyway, there is an interview with Bruce and then a, then a follow up when he, uh, passed away. In fact, I wrote him, I think I I texted him. I talked to him on my show. I talked to him privately once for like half an hour. Um, and then he said, I'm going into the hospital because I've got to go get an operation. I'll talk to you later. And three days later, he didn't survive the operation. Oh, so that was uh, it was a very sad time, but um, I'm glad I yeah. got to have him on the show and talk to him and 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 sort of express some of the these ideas on the record publicly. Um, yeah. in, in addition to his online stuff, which was extensive, extensive and like I said, just mind boggling, yeah. mind boggling, brilliant. Like yeah. I mean, what a trigger he was mm-hmm. for all these great kind of like like little flights of of thought and and innovation like yeah he's definitely missed yeah absolutely you do have had some um active things you've done like you said but you you mentioned the psychomantium which people do not most people do not know what that is i know what it is or i think i do what Uh, is it and what did you do with it and what did you find out the psychomantium for me came about really at a very low time um in my life, it was uh, just after my mother had passed away. Mm. And I was going through a, a phase of being really sort of angry and going through grief. And I had read uh, a little bit of this book. Uh, and the author is uh, Dr. Moody. 
in regards to um, healing through a psychomantium. And psychomantium basically is going back to this ancient Greek practice of sort of gazing into a mirror in a darkened area and, uh, and, and by doing so, putting oneself into a mindset where they can potentially commune with, with apparitions of dead people. Um, and dead loved ones in particular, which Dr. Moody was using as a, in, in a therapeutic kind of practice in a way. And I had read a book called um, Life After Life by Dr. Moody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in it, he describes experiments he did with uh, a psychomantium. And psychomantium is basically uh, going back to the ancient Greek, uh, where people would, um, they would receive prophecy uh, from and, and commune with deceased loved ones uh, in very darkened conditions. And in those days, I guess it would be a cave. Uh, there might be a pool of water. So they would gaze into the water and they would use the reflection, I guess, to stimulate an altered state of consciousness. And from that, they uh, they would have these experiences. So Dr. Moody kind of brought these ideas into the modern times and he created a room with a comfortable chair and, and very, it would be very dark and he would have a mirror that would face the participant and then a mirror behind them. And they would, uh, and, and they would sort of set up like a modern day sort of psychomantium where these people would then go on to have experiences with deceased loved ones. Um, that was very therapeutic. And he found that more often than not, people that did go into the psychomantium, these people that were suffering extreme grief, uh, they, they would be very much relieved. Um, and they would have these strange sort of, I guess, experiences with apparitions. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to try something similar at home because I'm going through grief and, and I needed a project to kind of take my mind off things. And I did do this. I, I wrote this up, and it's on my blog, um, my experiences at that time, uh, going into into a small, I used like a, a very large walk-in closet, uh, which I made comfortable for myself, and I bought these mirrors for the purpose of going in and, and doing this work with the psychomantium. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at first, nothing really happened, and I felt kind of silly, but I, I pursued <laughs> with it. And I never did uh, actually have an experience which I had been hoping for with my mother's apparition that didn't happen, but I did have some very interesting uh, experiences where I saw colored light balls um, that were sort of floating in front of me that in my opinion were more than just like eye floaters. They were like little mini light balls that were floating and I was hearing external voices Mm. Uh, and these voices sounded very much German to me, which my mother spoke German. It was was her common language at home. Uh, But it was a dialect in that that I couldn't really understand. And I would hear these messages in German, and it felt very external and outside my ear. So I tried to write some of those down. And that took me into an interesting path into sort of German mystics, um, particularly Mm. medieval era in that, and uh, Hildegard uh, von Bingen. And that's sort of interesting. And these... These studies also kind of dovetail a little bit with the UFOs, um, and uh, and and I found that a very interesting sort of experiment to go with. But I didn't I didn't have quite what Dr. Moody was describing, and that would be like a full apparition experience. But I did have these 
little light balls and these, these, these external voices that I was hearing after a time after pursuing it for a while. And of course I documented everything, you know, like I kept a diary of it all. Um, yeah. So, I mean, these are the types of experiments I, I try to, I try to engage phenomena. I try to put myself out there to have these experiences. I guess I'm an explorer. I, I, you know, I can't just, I can't just sit back and just, just take in other people's stuff. I have to kind of push it with myself as well. Um, but that's one of the things I did with the psychomantium. And then there have been a few other experiments as well. People have done that. And, um, um, a friend of mine, John Savoy did a, a whole series of experiments in his home where he actually brought other people in and they were occasionally, he noted that they would get these different, um, sort of motives, uh, a monk being one of them. Uh, 30% of the people he brought in were describing that they would see someone like almost in a monk-like kind of garb in an apparitional format mm. or something like that, which I thought was interesting as well, almost like a monk archetype. Uh, so these are also interesting experiments that are going yeah. on. How front-loaded were these? some of these things, including for you? Well, I guess it kind of was because you read Moody's yeah. book, so you're kind of expecting yeah. to see. The funny thing is you didn't get what you expected to see, but you got something that was tangential to it. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, there's no way to do an experiment like that without being front-loaded. Right, because, uh, like, what I, are these mirrors for? <laughs> exactly. Like, and it's you, you to because of the very nature of it and in the regards to what Moody was doing, there's no ethical way to do it. Otherwise right. you have to right. give a, you have to give people the, some idea of what to expect when they're doing this or what the purpose of the experiment is. If you're working with other people, absolutely. Yeah. Um, ethics are very important, especially because this is all, you know, psychological stuff. So right. uh, with myself, yeah, I was hoping there was the desire and hope, that I perhaps would have an experience, um, whether it was coming out of my own mind or whether it was an actual apparition of my mother really didn't matter. I was hoping that perhaps this would occur and that I would feel some of the same relief that Moody's patients were. Uh, and that did not happen, Mm. but I didn't feel that it was like a waste or, or that I actually found the, the experiences really interesting. And they certainly took my mind off of that, Right. That initial really deep grief and and kind of helped me towards other studies and such. Well, there is a, you know, the, people say, well, um, this is a fraud or it doesn't mean anything or it doesn't, you know, there's no basis. In, there's no scientific or whatever factual basis for this kind of thing. But they ignore the fact, you know, unless somebody is really actually fooling people and charging them tons of money for it, uh, exactly. which I, I think is wrong. Um the the fact that somebody could get some use out of it and no matter what the mechanism feel better yeah it's probably the most important thing that comes out of it and you know the, the i guess the ethical thing to do would be to either charge somebody a nominal fee cuz it's kind of like well i got to make a living at this so can you at least you know give me 20 bucks to or even more importantly if people have the time here's how you do it go try it yourself exactly and I think that in part, that's what Moody has done. And as well, you know, it can be incorporated as part of a greater grief therapy. Right. So you can have a, a tool. person. Have, yeah, a tool. It can be part of that experience, but you still 
you know, you're still providing the, the grief counseling and that for the person that is going through this kind of experience that might benefit from the psychomantium. Um, and in, in regards to my own, basically all I can do is, is take it for what it's worth, write it up, share it, and perhaps it will be of use to someone else. Other people can try to replicate it. Maybe they'll have different experiences. Um, but it's all just adding a little bit to the knowledge base. Well, you know? and as you said, it also helped you a little bit. Even just having the experience and sharing it with people was part of your um, your, your uh, recovering, whatever, the grieving process. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, it was able to take my mind out of a very dark place and, mm-hmm. and put it more onto something that's a little bit more proactive and, uh, and, and useful, I guess. Um, for myself and hopefully maybe for other people that are interested in these types of experiments. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's another more interesting thing. And again, with the, with the little light balls, I always think of the larger light balls in the sky, uh, as somehow being associated with the little light ones, um, that perhaps maybe there's some sort of an exchange of information. Uh, mm. certainly they occasionally, uh, seem to herald some larger event, right. uh, you know that that's going to happen, either personal or, uh, or or maybe even bigger than personal. Exactly, exactly. But mostly personal because you know, as as you probably know from um, parapsychology research, that the more relevant something is to the percipient or the you know the person that it's doing the that's doing the experiment, not not the experimenter, but the uh, the the subject of the experiment, the more personal connection they have. Um, the better results are, are gotten with that. So maybe the, uh, the lights are just a manifestation of something that is, is basically a, a, a signpost or a, or a light going on for you personally, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. And then at some point we begin filling in content and maybe something else is filling in content as well. And the narrative appears, you know, um, it's, it's all very, very interesting to me. And that's why we do have to, again, getting back to the essay, kind mm-hmm. of bringing it full circle, uh, <laughs> we do have to kind of concentrate on the people because, and, and giving them that dignity as well. Right. Uh, and remembering that these are very human experiences and that by just looking at the experience, but not the experiencer or sanitizing certain reports and that we're, we're probably losing out a lot. Because it's the human being that's the tangible thing in all of this. Yeah, that's that's the center point. Is the human being, and all of these, whether whether it's Bigfoots, whether it's UFOs, whether it's ghosts, there's a human being who's claiming that they've had this experience. Yeah, there's a, the the center of that that circle that you're trying to examine is is the person that it happened to. I just thought of something. My mind went on this big um, uh, tangent while you were describing that. In that, cool. yeah, I, the first thing I was thinking was, except people that are obviously crazy and are, are really, you know, they're, they're like, you've got to believe me. And, and, you know, that's annoying. And I don't know, you can't really throw that stuff out. But the reason they're doing that is because most people are telling them they're nuts and it makes them crazy. Exactly. You know, if, if there, I don't know, maybe if there was kind of like, please tell me what, you know, what happened, what do you, you know, that was the norm. Maybe there wouldn't be so many "quote unquote" crazy people, and the and the and, and the and the tend- tendency on the part of a lot of people to be 
to think that 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 their experience is reality and it should be other people's that that's also a problem too i think exactly you know i mean i think that there are personality types that just will never have this experience yeah and like just- me <laughs> I haven't really nothing unequivocal yet for me, except for lights in the sky a couple of times that were not very spectacular. Yeah, but you're still you're open to it, though. Like yeah. at least you're willing to. I feel cheated. I feel really cheated for a while on UFO Mystic. I kept saying I just missed a UFO sighting like three hours after I left, and that happened three or four times during the uh, during the during the run of UFO Mystic, except for the big black thing I saw floating over the beach one time, which I left immediately for some stupid reason, didn't go over to look at it. Wow! I don't know what was what wrong with beach me. Was this Santa Barbara? Oh wow! Right near UC Santa Barbara's entrance, I saw a big black thing that looked like, and it was next to the airport over a salt marsh, huh. right next to the end of a runway that I'd just taken off from an hour before. I got on the freeway to go back home from Santa Barbara to LA and as I'm and it's at sunset and as I'm getting on the freeway on ramp I look over and there's this big black eight-armed thing floating over stock still not even floating like somebody just put it there on a stand about a quarter mile away from me and it's it's probably a, like 100 feet across and it's got a tail coming out from it coming straight out with little rectangle looking things on it just and shiny black I could see the the sun reflecting off it I looked at this thing and go, I pulled off the freeway. I said, huh, that's amazing. I didn't take a picture of it. I didn't drive over there, which had been very easy. I could have gotten there in a minute. And I just got on the freeway and went home. You know what, though? That, that's actually not uncommon. I know. Well, it's, 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 you were probably in a slight state of shock. I would think so. Um, and your brain wasn't processing it. It was like, okay, so this is, uh, you know, like you're, 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 you're seeing this and then it becomes a non-event because you're, your mind is sort of protecting itself. Like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Yeah. And you think I would, I would want to deal with it immediately. What is wrong with me? I mean, it's my, been my interest since I was a kid. Suddenly I see something this strange. I go, Oh, well that's strange. I guess I better go home now. And then it becomes strange later on. I've, I've seen that with other people too, that have, you know, they, they have these incredible experiences and then it's not until a couple of years later that they're like, wow. But at the time I just kind of, nope, I'm not dealing with this. Or even if they don't think that in their the forefront of their consciousness, somewhere probably in their subconscious, they just don't want to deal with it. And Oh, no, I, I called the control tower yeah. a couple of days later. I went there three or four days later and looked around on the beach. There was nobody there to talk to. I went around the same time of day to see if there was anybody working there, like a lifeguard or something that could have told me they saw something. I called UC Santa Barbara and they said, we have nothing like that. We're not testing anything. None of our students are doing anything like that. We don't know what that is. I did look into it. Mm-hmm. But the point was at that time, at that minute that it happened, at the yeah. instant it happened, I left. And then yeah. when, basically when I got home and the next day I go, what the hell was wrong with me? I mean, I had an immediate the next day reaction, but the same so day. So it wasn't, didn't take time. No, no, no. Take, yeah. Ah, so, but that's interesting though. And then that speaks as well. Like you said, you, you contacted all these people and there, there didn't seem to be any witnesses or anything, but this was a huge thing you saw. Yeah. Which, which brings into question how occasionally you do have these huge ufos and you might have a handful of people that see them yeah you know this you know you just got me thinking too this also happens with ghosts sometimes you can have Ah. uh, 
like a room of people and you can have an apparition and say you have five people, you might have two that see a full apparition, one that sees something very hazy and another two that see nothing and they're all in the same room. Right. So I used to think maybe that was a line of sight thing, like you had to be in an exact position to actually see it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not so certain of that now. And you have that with these UFOs too. Like you can have, you know, maybe a handful of people that will see this giant thing hanging over a city and think there there have to be at least thousands of witnesses. Yeah. But there aren't. Right. You know, so what does that tell us about the the actual phenomena itself? That it's brain, I, I think uh, brain tuning. Or something. It's it, it. I don't know. Or it's partially there and it's partially not. You know. Or it's only physical for a very brief moment. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Obviously, but that was just another parallel I just thought of between UFO cases and ghost cases. Is you can have that too. Um, and and you gotta wonder like why if this is in a room full of people, why are only two of them seeing it? You know. Yeah. The same with UFOs. Yeah, that, that, that um, ain't going to work with a, with a scientific uh, study. Yeah, it is. It becomes a, cla a classical one. Yes, a, a classical scientific study. This is very difficult for, but perhaps with newer, um, more innovative ideas or more multidiscipline approach. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Dean Radin who was mentioning we need a new psychophysics. <laughs> this may be possible. Yeah, it, it may be possible to take in these these different variables and actually do some sort of science with them. I think it's possible. Um, I'm I'm not a physicist, but I think <laughs> yeah, I'm not a physicist, scientist, or anything, I, 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 and I'm not throwing out the scientific method. I'm just saying that if it if it doesn't adhere to a scientific uh, methodology, it doesn't mean it's not there. It just means the methodology has to has to incorporate different uh, ways of. Um, seeing, um, recording and accepting quote unquote evidence. Exactly. And there are, there are actual, there are scientists that are working on that. I'm going to, is it okay if I, if I give a shout out? Yes, please. I want you to. Okay. okay I'm going to give a shout out to my dear friend, Massimo Teodorani, whose book is the hyperspace of consciousness. He is a scientist who is, uh, actually, uh, looking at these kind of things, um, and taking them seriously. And he throws out all sorts of hypotheses um, that also they they uh, they counter each other like they're which is what we need we need all these different ideas right mm -hmm. different hypotheses yeah. so yeah so I'm I'm gonna because he's not as well known in North America no well I've seen you I'd seen his uh, uh, your your posts with him on your Facebook page uh, yeah yeah you said that uh, his book was one of your favorites right now you said I cite him often within my own research so. Yeah, I was, yes. I'm glad you yes. brought him up. Any more information for people? This is a hard scientist who is taking kind of what we're discussing here far more seriously and, and giving ideas and hypotheses and trying to use science to to sort of give other ideas. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And is also a co-collaborator with me on um, one of my current projects. Oh, excellent. So, so that is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney. Did actually used a couple of credentialed scientists to work with them on their core project, and I think it's important to have people that are that are trained in this way, but open-minded enough, and really are scientists. Meaning, you know, how can we find out more about our world, and uh, what methods can we use to do that? 
and being maverick enough to say, well, maybe new methods are needed and uh, new research is needed and we should accept more things, not accept, but consider more things than we have in the past. And that yeah. I think that's a lot less rare than it used to be, too. Yes, and, and definitely needed, certainly. Um, if we hope to even, like I said, get better questions to some of these, uh, you know, like you said, throw out the answers because th- that may never come. But better questions that can propel us forward, more of an understanding as to what these things may be, because yeah. they do, they they exist. Yes. People have been describing them, you know, since uh, the beginning of, of human history that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certain th- certain things like the ETH, or even in going back to the ghost, the DPH, really aren't helping matters. I mean, <laughs> could be dead people, but... We don't really have any proof of that either. Yeah. You know? <laughs> by what you said, by asking these different questions, if an answer comes or an understanding comes, it'll be almost by a mistake. Which is all our greatest scientific discoveries. Yeah. They're all made by mistake. Yeah. <laughs> or a great deal of them anyway. Just kind of like, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Oh, what about this thing? Oh, my God. I didn't realize that was so important, yeah. you know? Oops, that's doing what? Oh, (laughs) So maybe that's part one of the takeaways from our conversation here is, you know, ask as many questions as possible and the answer will will swing by and smack you in the face or maybe at least brush uh, uh, brush the air near you so you noticed. Exactly. And be good to each other and and realize we can't all be sycophants and in lockstep with each other, but... You know, we can have great debates. We just don't have to be jerks online, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People are very easy, easily jerks online and you get right. You, you get, you meet them. And it's like, this is the jerk that was online. They're so nice. Yeah. I've had that yeah. happen way more than once. And then also, you know, somebody's a jerk online and then I get them, like I said, privately and they're perfectly normal and, 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 uh, polite. And it's like, What's going on here? Why don't you act the same way between us that you do? I think that should be a rule. Act the exact same way. I mean, people have pointed out this before. Act the exact same way online that you would if somebody was standing right in front of you. Yes. I yes, think that would exactly. cause a lot less problems. It would. You know, I mean, I thought that Facebook would be different. That was what it was supposed to be. You'd see less trolling because people are supposedly using their own. And most people do, I think, use their own profiles and they're pretty good facsimiles for what they are yeah. or who they are yeah uh but then there's still their behavior is atrocious like it's like you know you wouldn't do this in person at least i hope not but no, well, again, if you did it in person i wouldn't want to talk to you exactly but then again it could be it could be part of that whole trickster like hmm. aspect to the phenomena itself and how people sometimes behave around it or with it or because of it, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's more like uh, if people don't think they're going to be immediate consequences, like why did you say such a horrible thing and have the p- potential to be punched in the face? They're a lot less, uh, <laughs> you know, they're a lot less uh, inhibited about what they say, and th- yeah. I think that's the main problem. Yeah. You know, imagine yeah. somebody could punch you in the face right now for whatever you say. That, mm-hmm. that your your discussion will be a lot more civilized. That is true. I think so. Um. But I also see that there there seems to be a sort of almost an archetype or character type that sometimes people assume that true. Role. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, uh huh. Uh-huh. But, but it's there. 
you know, yeah. and, and, and if you realize, and if you're aware that it's there, then it, these things aren't going to bother you. You're not going to engage as much because you're going to say, oh, well, this is just part and parcel of this whole thing, you know, yeah. and if you either be decent with me or not, like, yeah. you may have a great point, but if you're being a dick, I'm not listening to you. Exactly. If you have, if you're a nice person, you have a great point. Oh my, you know, that, that'll go, you might change my mind. Yes, because you know. that's that's what we should be doing. We should be triggering each other. You know, I'm always learning. Um, you know, that's why I was excited about Robbie's book and, and looking at the different essays and that, because mm -hmm. I always feel I'm in a position of learning. The more I the more years I do this, the less I feel I know um, or I'm more, you know, and I often change my mind on things uh, because it is such a great unknown. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so. uh, it is. It is unidentified. <laughs> yes. That that will give it. It's unidentified. Yeah. Uh where would you like people to uh read what you've done and contact you? If uh, if they, they feel moved to do so. Well, you know what? I really would like to hear from people, particularly those that have had UFO experiences with high strangeness and by high strangeness I mean anything that's absurd um or that they might feel is absurd, telepathy, synchronicity, um, all these things. I'm very interested in this. And of course, I will keep everything confidential and free of judgment. You can contact me through my website, um, which is, uh, where's my website here? It's <laughs> Susan, <laughs> it's Susan So Susan and then St. Clair, no, no, uh, I guess you could probably put a link up for me, right? Yes, I will put a link when it, when, when I uh, put people's uh, uh, interviews up. I will link everything they have through uh, th through the uh, posting. So yeah, yeah so that, I'll, I'll just link your name if that's your main one. I'll, I'll link your name to that, and then anything else I'll just put down. You know, there's also these two if you want to see other stuff. We'll, we'll talk about it off the air. Yeah, absolutely. And then my, my email contacts there, email is always good. And then I do have the Skype as well. Um, and I'm, I'm always interested in other people's experiences. Um, you know, especially because I've had my own, I, and I do feel in, in that way, I do have some sensitivity because I do know that people have these experiences. I can, I can relate to, mm -hmm. to how strange they can be and, and how hard it can be sometimes to be able to truly express oneself. Right. Because there still is all that ridicule factor, unfortunately, right. that surrounds the, the topics, you know. Um, and, and I find that virtually when it comes to the witnesses, I find that they're, they all tend to be very good people, you know, and very diverse, different backgrounds. But, you know, I find people to be very sincere in their experience and how they perceive their experience to be. So I think it's important that we're good to people that way as well and and leave them feeling better for contacting us at least i try to do that yeah i, I try to leave people feeling a little bit better even though i can't give them an answer mm -hmm. I, I i try to make them feel a little bit better about yeah, having yeah i don't think yeah i don't think a lot of people want an answer they just want to be able to uh, tell somebody that isn't going to laugh at them tell them they didn't see what they think they saw try to interpret what they've uh what they what their experience was 
that that's the most important thing. I mean, if the, to yeah. the extent that that's happened to me where somebody will come up to me at a, uh, at a conference or a book signing and all they want to tell me is what happened to them and have me listen. And when they're done, they say thank you and leave. They don't want me to interpret. They don't want to tell me that me to tell them they were right or wrong or whatever. They just wanted to tell somebody, um, that would listen and that's it. Exactly. And it, and it's good. You know, it's good that we can share with each other. I mean, that's part of just the basic human experience is that we're sharing with each other, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and so are these experiences because there are so many people that have had them, you know, um, there's something to it. That's for sure. Yeah. The guest always gets to pick, especially first time guests always get to pick what the outro music is. So what do you, what is your preference? And you can take as long as you like to decide. Oh gosh. And I'll just pick um, it off of YouTube if, if I don't have it on my um library of music here. Um What do you like? Well, since we're UFO-ish, how about we do the Foo Fighters? Okay, which song? You're back. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh this is a call I like. Okay. Because I I that it basically it's a it's a shout out to UFOs saying please answer us. It's almost like calling occupants except done updated yeah. to up to the to the nineties. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, that Susan. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. Same here, and we'll we'll do it again too. I mean, if there's you know a hundred things we didn't talk about. I know I mean, there was so much that I was thinking. Oh well, I'll just bring up this and talk about that, and then it's just we got on a roll. So there's there's other stuff. Yeah. There's other good stuff. All right. Okay. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Here's Foo Fighters. This is a call. Okay. It is. Visiting is pretty. Visiting is good. It seems that all they ever wanted was a brother. 